This is Guilty Conscience. Casual discussions on transfer pricing, tax treaties, and related topics. A podcast from Skadden that invites thought leaders and industry experts to discuss pressing transfer pricing issues, international tax reform efforts, and tax administration trends. We also dig into the innovative approaches companies are using to navigate the international tax environment and address the obligation everyone loves to hate. Now your hosts, Skadden Partners David Farhat and Nate Carter. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Guilty Conscience. As always, Nate Carden here with David Farhat and Stefan Victor. Iman Kyler is still out on leave, but will be back with us soon. Today, we're going to continue our spotlight series where we explore non-technical, non-traditional topics in tax. And we're thrilled to be joined by Jacqueline Rowing, who is going to talk to us about her experiences doing pro bono tax and what that has meant for her career and what that also has meant for our community. Jacqueline, welcome. Thanks, Nate. It's great to be back. So tell us a little bit about your pro bono work and how you got into it, how you uh, came to be doing as much as you're, you're doing now. Yeah. So I think pro bono is a really important area that young attorneys can get involved in um, for a variety of reasons. I initially got involved in activities that, you know, I think have led to my pro bono practice when I was in law school through the low-income taxpayer clinic that I had the opportunity to work at. I, from a substantive perspective, was interested in tax and wanted to see more about what it was like to have a career in tax. And the LITC was a great chance to do that. Over time, then getting out into practicing law, you know, there are a lot of opportunities that come up for pro bono in different areas. One of the great things about being a tax attorney in Skadden's DC office and having a really robust tax group is that we get a lot of pro bono tax opportunities that come in. And so, to be honest, at some some point, it's 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 wealth of opportunities. There's a lot of controversy and litigation, which is, I think, a very traditional area that people think of as pro bono work. But we also have a number of clients that come in and need tax advice in the context of their nonprofit registration or other business structuring activities. So quick question, Jacqueline, kind of talking about the pro bono work. I know one thing I dealt with kind of in my law school journey and going into tax a lot of folks feel like, okay, you're going to be a tax attorney. You're selling out, right? You're now doing it. You're working for the government or you're working for the man or you're making money um, and you're not kind of giving back, right? I think that's a, a common view around tax. And I think that's why there's some hesitation for some folks to go into tax who want to do, do good for the world. So can you kind of describe some of the projects you've worked on and how these things have kind of been impactful to to community, how they've been, they've allowed folks to give back and kind of dealt with some policy issues that folks typically don't associate with practicing tax. I agree 100%, David, that one of the key areas or key benefits of pro bono work is the opportunity to give back to your community and to use the skills you develop as a lawyer for clients that would otherwise not have representation at all and, and that you might never get to, to engage with. And there are plenty of those opportunities in tax. I think one thing that I have done for a number of years, and that's that's been really rewarding for my practice and also for engaging with my DC community, is volunteering with 
a group called Community Tax Aid, which is part of the volunteer, it's a VITA program, the Volunteer uh, Income Taxpayer Assistance Program, I believe. But, you know, what this program does, rather than just giving legal advice, there's a, a small number of, of local uh, attorneys they have on staff to provide tax legal advice, is they need people to come in and help prepare tax returns. And so this was uh, an organization I got involved with early in my career. And just being able to work with tax returns, getting to work with taxpayers, you know, helping a single mom mm-hmm. fill out the earned income tax credit and get a little bit more of a refund back to support her kids um, is fantastic because I think tax is complicated, mm-hmm. even for individuals who, in comparison to some of the corporate clients we see in a big law setting like Skadden, you know, their tax returns are pretty simple. But to them, it's not. And let's unpack that a little bit. I know you touched on it briefly when you were uh, when you were here last time with Fred. But just talk about why it's important for low income uh, folks to have access to kind of tax preparation services and to be able to file an income tax return. Because some folks may think, well, if you're low income or if you don't have any income at all, why am I worrying about filing a tax return? Yeah. So one of the things that people don't necessarily realize when they think of the IRS and they think of taxes is that the tax system has become one of the biggest benefits administration systems we have in the United States. I don't have the dollar amounts in front of me, but I know that there are billions of dollars paid out each year in refundable tax credits for the earned income taxpayer credit. And then in recent years, the economic impact payments have been paid out as a tax credit. The child tax credit with an advanced portion in recent years during the pandemic, also a refundable credit. And so taxpayers who don't file a tax return will never know if they qualify for these credits or not. It's money that they're leaving on the table to which they are legally entitled. And so one of the benefits of organizations like Community Tax Aid that's getting out and preparing returns, other organizations that I've worked with like Code for America, which created the Get Your Refund portal online and and, uh, Get CTC portal to help specifically for the child tax credit. These are incredibly important to bring accessible tax preparation services to low-income taxpayers who might otherwise just forgo a return because it's too difficult to figure out how to do it. So similar to something that David mentioned earlier, but one of the responses that I hear whenever I tell someone that I'm a tax attorney is, you know, how boring. And I think people mm-hmm. kind of forget that taxes, is especially federal income tax can tell a story. And when you just think about tax in general, or even corporate tax, you think you kind of are removed. There's like a level of separation from real life. Can you talk about how your work kind of brings you closer to some of those stories and maybe that how that's uh, drawn you to doing the pro bono work that you do? I think that that's a really smart perception, Stefan, that on the one hand, you might think of tax as being abstract in numbers, but at the end of the day, whether you're representing a company with billions of hours of income on the line or an individual, there's a person behind the tax return. And they are doing things that are resulting in the positions they're going to be taking on their returns. I sort of see the pro bono work that you can do in tax is really benefiting attorneys from two levels. Number one, as you said, you learn so many client management skills and your ability through your ability to engage directly with taxpayers and to talk with them. And honestly, I think one of the things that surprised me the most about getting into tax pro bono work from an early 
position in my career was how much of that work was really just managing the client's expectations and explaining the tax system and why does it work this way? And then often having to deal with kind of the tough conversation of, yeah, I know you wanted a bigger return this year or pardon, bigger refund, but the way the laws work out, like I know it was bigger last year, but this is where we are this year. And those skills are, are, are relevant across clients, right? Exactly. Yeah. One of the challenges mm. of being an associate in a big law setting is that you tend to be a little bit more removed from the action in your first few years of practice. Mm -hmm. That's just how it goes. But doing this kind of pro bono work that allows you to directly engage with clients. And oftentimes, I think pro bono, a great thing too, is you paired up with a more senior attorney who has some experience and you get to see how they interact with a client directly. It's it's all great stuff and all skills that you just then continue to to use in your career. It's awesome. We've talked about some of the benefits of, of the work you do, both for the attorney doing the work and stuff you can do for the community. But can we start from, from the beginning and just kind of walk through some of the stuff you do for VITA and some of the stuff you do for other programs, just so folks can get a, get a flavor of it? Sure. I mean, maybe a place to start, because I know we're... Also, in addition, you know, trying to angle the podcast for some students and people maybe interested in getting into tax would be to to start with the low income taxpayer clinic a little bit. So those are clinics normally connected with law schools that give students an opportunity to represent taxpayers uh, in what we would consider more of the controversy setting. So you're not filing a mm -hmm. complaint for them, but you're normally representing them before the service and trying to get some sort of resolution to their tax issues. And I think that that is a, a really interesting point to start your career, right? Because if you think of a law student, you're normally reading cases in your Fed income class, or you know, you're trying to expand your knowledge in some of the advanced classes. It's all very technical, right? You're reading cases, not really working on application. And then all of a sudden, if you get the chance to work in a low-income taxpayer clinic, you're now thrown into the deep end with the IRS, with its agents, with its forms, What's a power of attorney? How do I fax that in? You know, it's the kind of practical skills that I think help give you a sense of what does practice really look like, but also to get a flavor of like, how can I start advocating for clients who oftentimes, you know, those low-income clients, they don't have a lot of documentation that would help support their situation. One of the big ways you can try and get a good resolution for those clients is an offer and compromise. If they have outstanding tax liability for prior years and they've fallen on hard times because of medical issues or family issues that just wipe out their earnings or their inability, make them unable to be employed in the future, that tax debt that's hanging on over them from the prior years could become really problematic and majorly impact their ability to live their lives. Have these experiences also given you thoughts as to or changed your thinking on what's good tax policy, what's not, what's too complicated, what's not? Um, what I will say is I want to recognize it's complicated to make changes because there are so many people involved in the efficient administration of the tax system, right? Congress passes laws. There are clearly a lot of stakeholders, lobbyists, people involved in that process. You have Treasury, which sets certain policies, and then the IRS that's trying to administer. I think that there's there's a lot of room, though, for things to be more efficient and for it to be easier for taxpayers. You know, there are things like how much information the service has on taxpayers. 
I think something like 40% of individual tax returns per a, a paper that was released earlier this year, whose 40% could be completely filled out by the service just on the information the service has alone. Wow. And I mean, I don't know that we could ever go to a fully automated system because there are things like mm-hmm. how many children lived in your house for the tax year? You get certain benefits mm-hmm. based on the number of children and that might be hard for the government to track. We might not want the government to track that. But there's a lot of information they already have that they could be using to help taxpayers make the process easier. And the general policy has been that the service won't do that. Now, mm-hmm. the final point I'll make here is that I think that's interesting because if a taxpayer fails to file a tax return, the service has the ability to file what they call a substitute for return <laughs> and say, oh, hey, you messed up and didn't file and we figured it out for you, now pay us the tax and interest and penalties. Mm -hmm. So there's already a system in place for the service to be using the information it has, but I I think not enough impetus to use it to benefit taxpayers. Say a little more if you can about why, because your your point about Mm -hmm. the service being able to do this, but they're choosing not to is interesting. So what if you had a a middle-of-the-road position where they sent you a return. Here's what we think. Go take that to VITA. And then as a VITA volunteer, you could look at it and say, no, mm-hmm. this, this is wrong. You had four kids, not three. What's the barrier that's stopping that? You know, it's a great question. Mm. I'm not sure that I have a, a fully enumerated list of things, but I think where it would come down to is probably historical practice. Yeah. And in a paper age as well, It would have been a huge burden on the service and on the government to have processed those prepared 1040s and mailing them out. But I think that now that we live in more of a technological age with electronic filings, there's a lot of opportunity for the federal government to use that technology to more effectively connect with taxpayers. Yeah, and I want to unpack Nate's question a little bit. I think one thing, just kind of a, a shout out to Professor Dorothy, Dorothy Brown, her book, The the Whiteness of Wealth, kind of really go through some of these issues with the tax system and how it can um, disproportionately impact or negatively impact people of color and low-income folks. One of the things I want to unpack with Nate's, Nate's question, it appears that there is a bias in tax towards big money and big corporations. So if you read the tax press, the stories revolve around that. If you go into the tax practice, whether you're an accountant, a lawyer, an economist, the steer is towards that kind of work. So I'm not sure there are a lot of tax practitioners who have a feel for these issues that you're talking about. I'm going to ask a question and not to put Jacqueline on the spot. So to ask a question to all three of you, why do you think people feel so disengaged from tax? Part of it might be that if if the idea or if the assumption is I'm going to pay the government money, that is just so unexciting that they're just like, I'll mm-hmm. put it off until forever. But it's something that really um, not baffles me, but it, it puzzles me. Like what can maybe it's a complexity like uh, mm-hmm. of the tax code or David, do you have an answer? I think one of the reasons in the U.S. where there's this just avoidance of the topic and, and ignoring the topic is something that Jacqueline hit on. She said, look, it appears we have the the ability to kind of prepare on our own without the taxpayer's involvement, about 40% of returns, but we don't do it. However, if we want to go after a taxpayer, we will then do it. 
So it's that interaction with the IRS that is almost always negative, right? So if you don't have an interaction, you lose a benefit that you never know about. But when you have the forced interaction and when the IRS forces you to interact, it's negative. So the thought is, this is hard. It's really complex. And when I do it, I get stung. So I just kind of turn my back on it and it just becomes one of these things that's just, that's just a negative. So I think that kind of going to Nate's questions and, and some of the things that Jacqueline said, I'd really like to see an area where the IRS kind of goes after you to make sure you get some of these returns. Now, it sounds crazy that the government would chase people to give them money, but I think it's really important to do some of that and change the perception of the, uh, of the tax authority and the tax code because it's, it's really important for, for society. And I think, Jacqueline, you mentioned that it's one of the, uh, I forget how, how you phrased it, but it's one of the IRS and the, and the tax code provides some of the biggest benefits for folks in giving money to, to low-income folks. But it's the idea now that there's this barrier to accessing it. And I think what it is with, if you, if you have the economic means and you can pay attorneys and pay accountants to kind of go digging around for you to find all of the benefits or to find all of the things you can take advantage of. People without economic means don't have that. And I think one way to do it is we as attorneys can do more pro bono work to get that information out to folks. But I think we also have a, have a responsibility to make that policy comment so that however we, we make policy comments, we say, listen, this should be easier because it's better for, for tax administration and it, it's better for people's relationship with the tax authority and taxes in general. And just to piggyback off of that, David, I think you're exactly right that Part of this issue is an education issue. There are so many mm-hmm. taxpayers who just don't understand in the way that they should the benefits that can be had from the tax code. And so half the battle is really taking people in our position of, of privilege and knowledge and, and mm-hmm. using our skills and resources to help taxpayers get more informed. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, I think, one of the most exciting parts of the work that Fred Goldberg and I have been doing with Code for America, Mm -hmm. which to another point you've made, a lot of the outreach, a lot of the work to advance and improve the tax experience of low-income taxpayers is not being done by people with money. It's being done by nonprofits uh, Mm -hmm. and pro bono organizations around the country. Code for America is one of those that's trying to make it easier to allow taxpayers to engage with this process. And tell us more about that work, please. What exactly does Code for America do and what do you you and Fred do with them? Yeah, very happy to. So Code for America is a nonprofit organization that is looking to harness technology and use it to help find solutions to issues that come up with government and, and expanding government benefits for American citizens. They don't just work in the tax context. They have done some other projects as well. But as you've said, Fred Goldberg and I have been working with them on some of their tax initiatives, which have revolved around creating online platforms that taxpayers can use to file their tax returns and get benefits. The IRS, though, I think has very brilliantly come out with a couple of revenue procedures whereby they'll allow taxpayers who don't need to file a tax return because they don't tick the, you know, two, three, four standard reasons why. They'll allow those taxpayers to file after the normal tax season what they've called a simplified return just to get access to some of the refundable tax credits that we talked about earlier. Awesome. 
Yeah. And so Code for America has also developed a platform for those taxpayers called Get CTC, uh, which stands for the Child Tax Credit. And Fred and I have worked with Code for America on that platform to make sure that the platform is in compliance with the provisions of the revenue procedure, talk through with them the language that they're using on the platform, just do what we can to help it get structured and and get running so that it can start helping taxpayers. So if folks want to get involved with something like that or do some of that work, I know you mentioned the low-income tax clinic in law school. How, How would they do so? You know, there's so many great entry points. Yeah, we talked about the low-income taxpayer clinic. VITA is a program with partner organizations across the country. So if you want to join up with one of those, I think that's a great opportunity. Get Your Refund is constantly looking for volunteers, uh, even in the postseason, if you will, after April 15th. What do I need to know getting into this, right? I'm a I'm a junior associate listening to this and I'm thinking, yeah, this sounds great, Jacqueline, but you know what? Like I know how to read credit agreements and update disclosures for lenders. I don't know how to be responsible for somebody actually getting the money that they need to raise their family. How do I make sure that I don't get in over my head? I hear that. And uh The good answer is that these organizations that provide tax preparation services also don't want you to be in over your head. So there is, as part of the VITA requirements uh, for an organization to be certified by the the IRS, there are training programs, um, pretty extensive, that you have to go through the last number of hours. There's a test you have to take that shows you're understanding the concepts and how they apply when you're preparing a return. And then during the actual volunteering process itself, there is always a person who's reviewing the work of the original tax preparer. So there's those two levels of people looking at the information and making sure it's in the right place on the tax return. And if I'm working for an accounting firm or, or, or a law firm, how do I then get involved into some of these things? Do I reach out to my pro bono folks? Can I pound the table a little bit that they pick up some of this uh, pro bono tax work? Yeah, I think there are a couple places you could get into it. First is going to be you could just on your own seek out these VITA programs and start working with them if your firm doesn't have a relationship already. Second, as you've said, you can reach out to your pro bono staff at your law firm and say, hey, I'm interested in doing this. Like, let's let's get a relationship set up. The third opportunity, I think, would be as well to uh, if, if you want to get involved with tax work slightly more outside of the tax return preparation space, to talk with your firm about establishing a relationship with some of the local low income taxpayer clinics at law schools. Because one of the issues that I know came up when I was at my LITC is that we would get clients who came in and clearly needed help, but it was beyond the capabilities of what we as students could handle. People with more complicated situations, people who might need to file a petition in tax court. And so having a relationship with a local LITC can allow firms to be a resource to take on some of those cases when they come up. We spent a lot of time here talking about federal tax and particularly 1040s. Does this also extend to payroll taxes, 
property taxes, state taxes. I live in Maryland. I have one job in DC. I have a second 1099 gig work in Virginia. I don't know what to do. The world's really complicated. What does the pro bono space look like outside of Form 1040? So yeah, 1040s is an easy shortcut. I will say that a lot of the VITA organizations are generally in a position to also help taxpayers file their state returns. Uh, So that's good news. And the kinds of income and life experiences that they can handle on the 1040 and the state returns uh, is pretty broad. So if you're working in the gig economy, if you're an Uber or Lyft driver, um, if you've got other forms of 1099 forms and income coming in, a lot of times those can be handled. There are going to be some exceptions, which goes back again to those training requirements, right? There's only so much training as volunteers that you get, and and sometimes circumstances are more unique enough that it's worth the taxpayer's time to seek out professional advice. But yeah, a lot of those different circumstances can be handled. Awesome. As we're coming close to time, I think one may not be a final question, but one thing I want to ask you is, can you kind of give us uh, or reflect on some of your best experiences uh, doing pro bono work? And maybe not just your best experience, but the experiences that have had, have had the most impact on you. What I really reflect on are the relationships I've gotten to form with the other attorneys on whom I've, I've worked on these pro bono projects. We've already talked a lot about the interaction between you as a volunteer attorney with your client. I haven't really talked, though, about how when you're working on a team with other attorneys, it is such an incredible way to build those relationships, build your network with other people. I'm thinking how, for instance, the D.C. office, our our tax group here at Skadden is probably 45 or 50 attorneys. But as an attorney that specializes in controversy and litigation work, there's easily half the practice that I don't work with regularly. I've had, though, clients who in the the pro bono space, who have let me work with some of those attorneys on the more transactional side of our practice. And that's been a really rewarding experience. Awesome. You build great relationships, you learn practical skills, you you help folks, you get an insight into policy. Just a myriad of wonderful reasons to get involved into tax and pro bono. And And as Nate mentioned at the start, this is a spotlight. So we'll be talking about tax and pro bono more so that um, we can encourage our tax brethren and sisterin to give back more and not just do the, the, the big money work or the big corporation work. It is so rewarding. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that we, we, we don't want to say that too loud. We may cut down in the tax pro bono work. <laughs> you get to, you don't have to, but Jacqueline, thanks so much for being one of those who chose to. We really appreciate it. Indeed. Thank you very much. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Guilty Conscience. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any future conversations. Skadden's tax team is recognized globally for providing clients with creative and innovative solutions to their most pressing transactional, planning, and controversy challenges. Additional information about Skadden can be found at skadden.com. 